As we open God's Word this morning, I would invite you to turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read from verses 16 to 20, but I'm going to focus specifically on just a couple of verses within there, just one verse within there. Um, you, you probably know the term expository sermon, probably one you've heard if you've been around the church very long. You might not realize that's a technical term that actually has a particular definition for what it means. And what it means is that all of the main parts of the outline for the sermon, the, the big idea or the thesis of it, and the main points and all of the subpoints are taken straight out of the text. That's an expository sermon. Um, and that's not the only way to preach a sermon. Today, my sermon is going to be what we would call a topical sermon. And what, what's the difference between a topical sermon is that, that not every piece is taken straight out of the text, but that one piece, well, at least one piece is. In, in our case, today it'll be the subpoints. Um, and what that allows us to do is rather than uh, focusing on just one passage, to center our ideas around a, a, an idea that several passages speak to. So both of them can be equally biblical in their value, and uh, both of them also, by the way, can be just as unbiblical in their preaching. So it's not that there's one biblical way to preach, um, but uh, there's value to both. So today we're going to, to have a topical sermon, today actually and next week. I get to do a two-part series for you uh, this week and next um, and it's going to center around this idea of how we go about praying for our local church. So as a sort of a toe in the door for uh, that considerable topic, then let's look at, uh, first of all, at Ephesians chapter 6. And as I mentioned, we'll read verses 16 to 20. But first, before we, uh, before we read, let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for this what you have given to us as your word. Lord, we pray that you would remove the scales from our eyes and let us have eyes to see. Unstop our ears and give us ears to hear. Renew our minds and allow us to have understanding. And help us in our belief and in our unbelief that we might have hearts that believe and trust that this is not merely an ancient text or the words of men, but it is the very word of God speaking to us now as we hear it read and taught. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 16 to 20. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me 
in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. In the church that I served in Tennessee, near Memphis, Hickory With Presbyterian Church, uh, one of the things that we began to do roughly in my second year of ministry, was as a congregation, we chose one aspect of spiritual formation that we would focus on all together for the course of the next calendar year. Um, So the first year we chose prayer, wanting to learn together how we might know more about prayer. And in the spirit of that uh, kind of mutual commitment, then at one point, then the leader of our women's ministry, um, the president, if you will, of that ministry came to me and said, our, our leadership team has, uh, has decided that we would like to learn specifically, we would like, we'd like for the women to learn specifically how we can pray for our church. Now, of course, I already uh, was, uh, was predisposed to love these women, but that gave me an even greater love for them because they were, they were speaking right to my heart there and, and that desire uh, was also my desire. How do we pray for our local church? And I, and I looked around uh, trying to find some resources for them, and I found that there wasn't a whole lot of, of uh, material out there about that. And so it helped me to realize that perhaps a lot of folks in the church would wonder more about that topic. How do we pray for our local church? Because we should be praying. We must be praying for our church, oughtn't we? Um, and as Ephesians 6.18 says, we should keep on praying for all the saints, right? For, for everybody as we are gathered, both severally and uh, together. And so I want us to consider how we might fulfill that call to prayer today. I don't intend for this to be an exhaustive look at all of the verses that I've listed for you there in the outline. That would be more, more than just exhaustive. That would also be exhausting. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I'd, I'd like to point those to you, or point you to those, so that as you're considering this more, hopefully it will be something that you consider more than just for these moments this morning, but ongoing in the next weeks and, and maybe for months to come. Then these are resources for you to, uh, to look at. Um, I have two points that I want us to take up today, and next week we'll take up two more points on the same topic. So this week I'd like for us to look at praying for the work of the church and at praying for the people of the church. And next week, we'll look at praying for the health of the church and for the leadership of the church. So the work and the people and the health and the leadership of the church, the first two this week. First, let's think of how we pray for the work of the church. Now, what is the work of the church? Well, through the centuries... um, we have come to boil it down to three key ideas that have become known as the marks of the church, that whatever else a congregation might do, then these three ideas, the marks of the church, are its essence. And those, those marks are going to be familiar to you. They are uh, the word, the sacraments, and the discipline of God's people. Um, word, sacraments, and discipline are what we consider to be the marks of the church. Uh, Donald Guthrie, not, not Donald Guthrie, Donald McNair, um, a church consultant in the late 
part of the 20th century and, and sort of an expert on church health, once commented that if you do not have those three marks, whatever you might be, you're not a true church. But if you have those three marks, then you have the foundations for a healthy church. So that's, that's enough, right, to start praying for our local church to say that is the work that we might pray for. And so let's look at those three together. First, the Word of God. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, then Paul gave this urging to Timothy. He said, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, that verse is so plain that it gives us a very clear idea of how we might pray for the preaching and teaching of the Word, doesn't it? Because we can see how we pray for our pastors and our congregation with regard to it, that first of all, it would reprove, which means that it would correct, that it would help us to see where we have misunderstandings or even have errors in our thinking. And it would show us what is right thinking about things. And also that it would rebuke, that is to say that it would call us out on our sin. It would identify for us ways that we need to change and to turn to Christ and away from our own sinful ways. And that it would exhort, that is to say that we would be encouraged and edified by it. So it's not merely something that is wagging a finger at us, but it's also building us up, right? And that these things would be done faithfully, in season and out of season. And that they would be done with patience and with teaching. So that's a lot to be praying for the Word right there. But there's another reason and way that we can and should pray for the Word of God in the midst of the church. And you'll see... On page 6, in the outline, the first of, a reflection, of our reflection quotes there, um, and this is from the Second Helvetic Confession. That's one of our historic Reformed confessional documents. It's not one that we in the PCA tend to use as much, but it is one of our world documents that has spoken to what does it mean for us to believe Orthodox Bible teaching. And here's what it says. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening convincing and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them to Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace, and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. If you notice there what that document, that paragraph is describing... It's every step of Christian life from conversion and being brought into faith all the way through our, through our final glorification. Uh, and so if, if that is what the work of the word read, but it says especially preached, is, do, is doing. If that is what I'm up here to do this morning, if that's what Steve gets up week after week to do, well, that gives us a lot to pray for too, doesn't it? Uh, Because the word of God, when rightly preached, is God himself declaring to us what he would have us know. So we might pray that it would indeed be rightly preached. That these things that the confession shows us that it would accomplish, would be accomplished and, and be brought to bear. That our pastor would be humbled and yet invigorated uh, through the Holy Spirit by the truth and burden of this possibility and this 
kind of pregnant opportunity that preaching the Word has. And that we, as a congregation, would approach the preaching of the Word, ready to hear God speak to us, ready to be transformed and changed and ministered to in the way that that document describes. Because we all, we're all somewhere in that, in that spectrum, aren't we? Whether we're here this morning not believing and knowing that we don't believe. But God has brought us here. You're here listening to God's Word being preached. He's doing something with you, if you're, even if you're not a believer yet. Or whether we've been converted for years and years. And the mature, the more, we have many more years of mature faith than we had ever of unbelief. Or somewhere in between those two. We all still need the Word preached to us and to minister to us day by day, week by week. So we pray for the preaching of the Word. We pray for the sacraments. There's several texts that might help us see how we could pray about the sacraments. The one I want to focus on this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Now, notice what they were devoted to. Um, the, the grammar geeks among you, like me, will notice that there's definite articles in that. That is to say, we, it doesn't talk about they devoted themselves just to fellowship or to some fellowship, but to the fellowship, right? And to the prayers and to the breaking of the bread. And so that's to say, not just to getting together and having meals together, although that's very great for believers to do, but specifically what the New Testament means when consistently it uses that term, the breaking of the bread, and especially Luke in his gospel and in Acts, is the sacrament, the breaking of the bread and the, and the distribution of the wine and the gathering of the saints for the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to that. They had committed themselves to the breaking of the bread, to the sacrament. So that raises the question in my mind, what would it mean for us to be devoted to the sacraments? That raises a lot of possibilities, but one way is how can we pray for the sacraments? How might we be praying for our time gathered to celebrate and to eat and to feast together? Well, we can pray that we'd be prepared to receive them. That others around us would likewise be prepared. That we would be ready, in other words, to receive the grace that they carry. And to be refreshed. To be renewed by them. In so many churches, then when the sacrament of communion is presented, then it's a, it's a time of morbid contemplation and hangdog looks and let's all get sad and solemn together now. And I'm so grateful that in our fellowship here that it's not the spirit that we celebrate communion because it is a means of grace. It is a way that God is renewing and refreshing and nourishing you for, for your salvation and for your spiritual health. And so when we gather and are prepared well, we come ready, eager to feast on that grace, then we recognize this is, this is a time of joy for us. It's a time when we celebrate. We ought not be frowny. We should be smiling at one another. 
So we pray that we would be prepared. We could pray, too, that these sacraments, and I'm not just talking about communion, but also about baptism, right? That they would be presented well. That as we gather, the gospel would be communicated so effectively through the whole service, not just through that sacrament moment, but including that. But through the whole service, leading us up to be offered these means of grace in the sacraments that would demonstrate how we share in communion and in fellowship with God. Isn't that something that by the time we get through the worship service, do you see it as a whole that way? That we come into God's presence at the very beginning and and he's invited us there, but that also immediately makes us aware of our sin. And being aware of our sin, we're driven to confession. But we're also assured that through our confession, Christ has pardoned us by his blood. And as a result of Christ's pardon, then now we're brought into fellowship with one another and with him. So that he might speak to us from his word, that we might speak back to him our desires in prayers and in confession of our faith, and then that we might sit down at table together and, as a family does, eat a meal, children and father, together. And then, as we go out from that, that we're sent, commissioned, and blessed with a good word, a benediction, where he says, go in this knowledge and with this hope, Isn't that a beautiful picture that week by week the gospel is represented to us? And that we're renewed and refreshed that way? And so we pray that the sacraments would always be presented to us in a way that's renewing and emphasizing that communion that we have. And we might pray too that in their presentation and in their reception that those who don't yet have true fellowship with Christ that those who are not yet in, in believing in faith in Him, that they might grow in their longing, that they might see what they are missing, and that they might desire the fellowship that we share with God. So we can pray for the sacraments in those ways. And we pray for discipline. In Matthew chapter 18, then Jesus' words of how we deal with sin among ourselves are familiar to some of us, I'm sure. In verses 15 to 17, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Again, there's other texts that I could point you to. They're listed for you there in the outline. But what I would have us to see from this text is just how much we need to pray for discipline. Because discipline's a sticky matter, isn't it? It, it has to be handled carefully. It has to be done gently and graciously. But it has to be done. We can't be so gracious or under the auspices of being gracious that we ignore discipline. We can't be so loving toward one another that we fail to love them by letting them wallow in their sin. So discipline is, in fact, the true expression of love for one another. But it's hard. It's a hard expression of that love. And we can see from Jesus' own words about it 
several things. First, that the goal from the start is not to prove that we're right, but to gain our brother. We also see that it should start one-to-one. When I've sinned against somebody, then I should go to them or they should come to me. You know, if you're the one that's been sinned against, then you're not off the hook. Jesus says here, if you've, if you've sinned against your brother, then you should go to them. But in another place, he says, if your brother has sinned against you, then you should go to them. We're all on account for when there's sin between us. Whoever is the offender and whoever has been an offense. We need to keep short accounts with one another. And it starts one-to-one. And it only extends beyond that if necessary. But that it still involves the whole church. It's a matter for all of us to be concerned about discipline, even one-to-one. And we should notice, too, that even in the worst-case scenario, what's the worst case? That time after time we fail to, so to speak, gain our brother, as Jesus said. And then finally we treat them, he says, as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He treated them with love, didn't he? And with grace. He didn't treat them as equals to his disciples necessarily, but he did treat them with a longing that they would be in fellowship with him, that they would come to faith, and that whatever their status that made them so outside of the faith would be given up. In fact, we have several occasions in the Gospels, don't we, where Gentiles and tax collectors were brought to faith under Jesus' ministry. And so, too, our practice should be that way. When we discipline, when it comes to that end, if it does, we should treat them with that same love, with that same longing. And so, there are lots of ways that we can be praying about discipline in the church. First, we can pray that we would not be afraid to do it. That's a problem many churches face, isn't it? Let's let ours not be one of those. That we would not be afraid to engage one another with love and hope that sin will not stand between us. And also that our hearts would be right as we approach one another, remembering Jesus' words elsewhere about removing the log from our own eye before we are concerned about the speck in our brothers. Next, we could pray that if things move beyond the one-to-one, and involve the leadership or even the whole congregation, that we would all be laboring together, always for the restoration of the sinful brother, that it would never be something that we lose sight of. And finally, that our efforts to be accountable would result in grace and love being extended even to those who we might treat as a Gentile or a tax collector. Because our lives are reoriented toward one another through prayer for the work of the church. Through God's word preached and taught, we are gathered and unified in a way that isn't possible in any other way. Through his sacraments, we are fed and nourished with the grace we need to live in this reorientation. And through the faithful practice of discipline in our midst, then we are kept to short account and the obstacles toward our true fellowship are removed. Have you seen how this is so? Have you ever seen these things at work this way? When I was in college, then early on I went to a church that, um, that I 
I left to go work for another church from. And then Marcy and I met and got married. And, and for a season in our lives, then we found ourselves back at that church that I had attended in college. And I remember the first time that she met the guy that was the Sunday school teacher when I was a young fella, right? A young 19-year-old kid. And, um, and that Sunday school teacher, when he first met her, then he's, he made a comment to her about how she got the losing end of the deal or something like that. Probably very true. But yet, uh, nevertheless, the way that he said it, and that that was the first thing that he would say to my new wife, who he had never met before, stung me very, very deeply. You might understand how that would be so. Sometimes the truth, even if it's true, hurts. And I I agonized about that because I realized this was a man who had taught me the word in Sunday school. He was a man who who I'd sat beside and taken in the fellowship of communion with. And now here he had something against me. And I, I was terrified to confront it, but I wrote him a letter and I said, I was so grieved by what you said. And if, if that was true, would you help me understand how that is true? Because I want to be better than that. I want to seek Christ more than that. But if what you said was just in jest, would you know that it really stung and it hurt and offended me? Well, he called me. I wasn't home and he left a message on our answering machine. Remember those? Um, the, little, the little tiny tape. And, um, and his, his voice was cracking. He was so heavy-hearted. And you, we could tell that he had mustered not weeping enough to be able to call me. And he was so humbled by it. And when we saw each other the next Sunday, then he came and he embraced me and he hugged me and he wept on my shoulder and asked my forgiveness because... God had convicted him through his word and through our fellowship in the sacrament and through a brother being willing to say, is this really the way things are? Please help us not be that way. That wasn't because of my strength. That was because God did something through us that gave us that. And I'll tell you what, I haven't seen him in almost 20 years, but I bet you if I walked into his living room today, I could ask him anything and he would do it for me. Because when God restores people that way, their bond is better and stronger and fuller. It's the way that we ought to be with one another. Because the work of the church does that in us. Isn't that beautiful? So we pray for the work of the church. And we pray for the people of the church. Just as central to the church as its work is its people. And so we might find three ways also to be praying for the people of the church. In our spiritual growth, in our reconciliation, and in our fellowship. First, our spiritual growth. If you think back to the passage that uh, we read earlier, that Jerry read for us from Ephesians 4, then... Paul gives us a glimpse of why it is that God calls us together to be the church. You may not have thought about it this way. That it's so important for us to be united together, among other things, simply for the sake of our spiritual growth. Do you remember what that passage said? It said that he gave us these leaders, the apostles and prophets and so on, 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body, until we all attain the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, that we all might achieve mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we wouldn't be tossed any longer as children back and forth by the waves of, of every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness, deceitful schemes, and rather that in speaking the truth in love, we'd grow up in every way into the body, joined together and bound together in Him. Paul lays out the vital nature of the church for our spiritual growth. That we won't be left vulnerable to poor teaching and false doctrines in verse 14. That we would learn to speak the truth in love in verse 15. That we would grow up in Christ to the full maturity and fullness of Him in verses 13 and 15. That we would be bound together as the body with Christ as the head, verse 16. That we'd be equipped for the work of the ministry of the saints, in verse 12. And that all of these would be the fruit of those leaders God has placed over us to equip us in that way, from verse 11. This is just one passage that shows us that when we read our Bibles, we see that spiritual growth is almost never a me thing. It's almost always a we thing. I cannot grow without you. You can't grow without one another. We are dependent on each other for our spiritual growth. And so we should pray for that, shouldn't we? (laughs) That Christ would grant us spiritual growth through these means he has given to us. That we would be protected from pride and fear as we grow. And instead that we would be given a healthy humility. That we would recognize our need for one another, for the body. And for the leadership God has appointed over us as a body for our spiritual growth. Because our spiritual growth is dependent not just on how committed I am to my Bible. It's dependent on how committed I am to Christ. Because he has given me a body of which he is the head. And we know what happens when, when parts of our bodies are cut off. Right? If my finger gets cut off. If I don't get it reattached right away, I don't have a finger. And that finger doesn't have a body. Now, it's not by mistake that the New Testament uses that metaphor over and over again. Your church membership is not optional. If you wish to grow in Christ, if you wish to stay alive and remain healthy in Him, you are dependent upon the rest of the body. And so we pray, don't we, that that body would be healthy. Because it doesn't matter how attached my finger is, if the rest of my body is dying, that body, that finger will die too. And that leads us into reconciliation. Jumping back into Matthew 18, we see that having said those things to them about how they get get right with each other, there wasn't immediate understanding, there wasn't clarity. We might be comforted by that a little bit. The disciples didn't get that any faster than we do. But in verse 21 and 22, then we see Peter come and say, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And so even as we consider the discipline and accountability that needs to take place as a mark of the church... We also need to see our part 
in granting forgiveness, in being restored and reconciled to one another as a part of the spiritual growth and health of the church. This is sometimes part of the, one of the hardest parts, isn't it? But it's so vital. Without proper reconciliation, we just can't be unified as a body. I've seen those times. You've seen them, I'm sure. When someone left, unreconciled, and now here they come back, how will they be treated? How would you treat them? You've got somebody in mind now, I bet. Someone that you're unreconciled with. If they walked in the door right now, how would it be? 77 times? That's a lot. So we should get on our knees about that, shouldn't we? Let's start with ourselves. That God would burden our hearts for the ways that we need to be reconciled with others. Because of our own sin, or because of our sin of lack of forgiving spirit. And that he would grant us the grace to forgive those who have sinned against us. And then pray that those particular sins and broken relationships that don't have anything to do with you, but that you're aware of elsewhere in the congregation, that those would be healed and mended. That they would be addressed well with love and forgiveness. And that those that we don't have any idea about, but that we know must be there, there's always brokenness. Those things would be addressed too. And that our congregation would therefore become such a model of forgiveness and of unity that even as we deal with other churches or other denominations, that it would spill out into that. How do we, as a congregation... Think of other churches. Are we forgiving and reconciling of them? That might be close to home for some of us. We must pray for reconciliation. And we pray for fellowship. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, then the Apostle John records just how much Jesus longed for our fellowship A new command I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, how is it that folks outside the church will come in contact with the transforming gospel? Is it because we have an amazing seminar on the latest evangelism method? Is it because we bring in a speaker that is nationally known and would, would, uh, would, folks would be beating down the doors to hear him speak? No. It's because we love one another. And they will see that love. And they will see people who are growing because of their dependence on each other. And they will see people who are reconciled and not out of accord with each other. That there's such a genuineness to those relationships, that there's such forgiveness to be found in them, that there is such a love, a true love for one another there, such a real fellowship, that they think everything else I see is false. Those relationships at work where we play nice to one another, but we hate each other, 
I've got to get rid of that. That can't be the only relationships I have in my life. I need to find out what he has or what she has or what they have. How do I get me some of that? Don't you want to see that happen? And y'all, that's easy. Sort of. I mean, it's easy because it's not some method or some extra thing to add to your list or one more way that you have to give up something of your time or your resources. It's something that ought to be natural. It's easy because it takes place every day normally in healthy believers' lives. It's easy because it is the natural fruit of the marks of the church and the people of the church living as they ought to live. And the folks around them just look in awe. And when they finally pick their mouths up off the ground, then they say, can you take me to church with you? You won't even have to invite them. They will ask, I promise you, if they see that in your lives. Or if you do invite them, then they will say, please, let's go. Can I go with you next Sunday? Even in Tucson. Even here in northwest Tucson, that can happen. But that takes love. And Jesus says that it will be through our love for one another in that self-sacrificing and unconditional and gracious way that they'll see that. Now, what would it look like to love someone like Jesus loves? Can you think of someone you love that way? Is it your spouse, your parents, your children? I fail to love my spouse and my parents and my children that way. It's impossible for me to love as Jesus loved if I just try to muster it up in myself. That's where it stops being easy. But then it starts being easy again because in my dependence on Christ... All of that love is made possible. That, that which is not in reach within, for me is brought to me by Christ. That is the kind of love and fellowship that he brings to you. That he makes possible in you. And if that doesn't drive us to pray, I don't know what does. But we could pray that God would strengthen our love for others that he would give us love for those we find hard to love, that our fellowship would be honest, authentic, vulnerable, and that we would both be those things, that we would be honest and vulnerable and authentic, and that we would be accepting of others when they are that way. And that's hard because sometimes other people's vulnerabilities are more than we know how to deal with. We can pray that we can take them and accept them. That a spirit of hospitality, that kind of hospitality, not not only that we are good at putting out a spread, we are good at that, and that's great, and it's important, and thank you for your work to do that. But we can't just check the box and say, okay, we've done hospitable. That our church community that the community around us, that the whole area 
would be taking notice because they see a love and an acceptance here that is inviting. That's hospitality. And that Christ would make us willing participants in that. And that God would protect us from mistaking false fellowship for the real thing. Because our hearts are brought into greater love for one another through prayer for the people of the church. We cannot help but love each other more when we pray for one another. As we pray for one another, we love one another more fully through spiritual growth that's dependent on each other. Through reconciliation that restores us to right relationships with each other. Through true fellowship where love and being loved are increasingly deeper. I saw that happen just a few weeks ago. I got the privilege of getting to see that happen again. Um, One of my oldest friends now, another pastor named Lee, who I worked with, uh, I mentioned earlier, I left that church in college to go work for another church, and his was one of the churches that I worked for as a youth minister. And we had been at a at a summer conference, and, um, and I had done something knuckleheaded. And he called me out for it in front of everybody and just blasted me for it. And uh, later on, he said he was thinking about it and he was praying through it, and God began to convict him. And, uh, and he thought, well, I, I should go, go and apologize to Ed. But I probably need to do it in front of everybody because that's where I send in front of everybody. But then that'll make me look foolish. But then I already looked foolish when I just sinned against him in that way anyway. And so he came back, and in front of everybody, then he asked my forgiveness. And here's, here's the thing about that. that that's, just, that's just the marks of the church. But here's where it becomes the people of the church. That was... What, Marcy, probably 15 years ago, maybe 16? Marcy was there. Lee assured us that, he, that she was. But we don't remember it. I don't know what that was about. I don't have the first memory of it. Now, that's not just because there were so many knuckleheaded things that I did <laughs> that I can't keep track of which one. There were those, but... Because we asked another friend, another pastor who was there, and he said, I remember it happening. I don't remember the circumstances. So he's testifying. There were plenty of knuckleheaded things. that uh, We we lose track of that part. But no, it's it's the fact that somehow God was at work in me to respond graciously. And Lee says, that was when our relationship was cemented. That's why he is still one of my closest friends, even though I haven't worked with him in 15 years. That's why we have a bond that we share now, still. I talked to him the other day. He wrote to Marcy the the sweetest note, telling her how much he was praying for her and how much he and Debbie loved us. And that all traces back to where reconciliation and accountability and true fellowship was restored through spiritual growth happening. That's transforming. And I tell you what, that's why Jesus said, this is how they will know you're my disciples. He saw more of that going on. If if those out there saw more of that going on, they would want part of that.
Now, I know many of you. I've gotten to know this congregation. And I know you're a people who love your church. I don't doubt that in the least. I love how you love your church. Do you pray for your church? I bet you do. In that passage in Ephesians, Paul assumed that you did. Remember, he said, keep on praying for all the saints. As we continue to consider this topic together, I want you to see that in our lives of praying for the work of the church, then we are reoriented toward one another. And in our prayers for the people of the church, then our hearts are brought together in greater love for one another. And I look forward to looking at these things again with you next week. Would you pray with me that these would be so for us now? Heavenly Father, we long to be a people known by the marks and traits of the church that you have shown us in your word. We don't know how to get there, Lord. We don't know how to change ourselves. But we know who does. And so we ask that you would make us into a people of prayer, constantly asking for these things to become known of us and true of us. Would you transform us that way? We would be so honored if you would. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.